Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Better, Bolder, Braver podcast, helping normally coaches to put themselves out there with clarity, confidence, and joy. But I'm delighted today to have a very special guest, my friend Warren Mindy here. And Warren is my first guest in a kind of mini podcast series within our podcast, uh, who is going to uh, kindly talk to me about his experience in the corporate space. And that's because I'm pleased to say that we have launched a Better, Bolder, Braver corporate offering. Now, Warren, I have known since I was 13, I'm not going to tell you how many years ago that was, but it's a very long time. And I remember we also, uh, so we were in the same social uh, circle for many years. And then we not only went to university together as well, but lived together at university. So it became very close. And I remember when we were in Warren's room in our house, and I think Warren, you had uh, also at that time learnt how to be a, a Reiki master. You can tell us a bit about that in a minute. But you'd also just been given a uh, a very unique experience on the graduate program of, I think it was Unilever, is it not? Or L'Oreal, one of the two. Um, yeah. And has always been a very, very um, impressive person to me from a very young age. Uh, and he's going to tell us what he's doing now, but sort of where he comes from professionally and hopefully personally. Um, and I'm going to be asking Warren a few uh, questions and hoping that he's going to be comfortable bringing his authentic self to this conversation about what work life means to him. So welcome, Warren. How are you Thank arriving you. today? Um, I'm arriving um, in a sort of Monday-ish mood, to be honest, Francis, but delighted to be here with you. And um, thanks very much for such a nice uh, introduction. Yeah. It is uh, easy and a pleasure to introduce you in such a way. Would you let people here know what you how you would describe yourself Warren at this time professionally personally all of the above why don't you just choose which is the okay. most important to go first so how would I describe myself so I'm a dad of a wonderful 10 year old boy called Leo and a wonderful uh daughter called Isla Ray who's seven and that is, I would say, my main preoccupation. But on the my side hustle is I'm a, I'm an innovation consultant um, and and coach. I run a business called Innovation Leap. Um, I did, as as Francis says, I uh, despite Reiki healing and uh, fire throwing and various other kind of student pastimes, my career did start at L'Oreal um in marketing for a few years and then I went to Unilever and managed brands like Lynx deodorant and Ben and Jerry's and Magnum for a while went to Australia with them for a little bit and after about 10 years doing that kind of marketing and innovation for um big corporates I went into consulting um and worked for various different companies and landed up in uh, innovation and foresight consulting at Cantar Consulting again working with Lots of different um, big corporate companies from Lego to Mondelez to Microsoft and kind of everyone in between. Um, I then went into a startup for two years after about 10 years in consulting world. And then about a year and a half ago, I went out on my own and began this consultancy that I now run called Innovation Leap, where I do capability building, consulting in innovation and foresight um, and culture building. 
and also um, executive coaching as well. So I am a trained executive coach um, as well. And I know that many of your your listeners are too. So I, uh, yeah, that that's me today, I guess, is um, I've taken, taken all those experiences of various uh, types of innovation and marketing and bring them together for clients now um, as Innovation Leap. Yeah. Okay, great. Now, as you can all tell, Warren comes across as a very confident, eloquent, clear individual. Um, and also, I've chosen Warren as my first guest because I know he can take it if I try and poke him a bit on a personal level because he'll sure. just bat it back, as he always has done with me for 30 years if it's inappropriate questioning. But I will ask you, Warren, you come across, as I say, as, as super confident and like you've got all your shit sorted. Is that is that what's going on? Not all the time. No, of course not. Um, I think there are there are peaks and troughs for everyone. And I, you know, I'm I went from corporate world to agency world to startup world to running my own thing. So I, I've kind of gone from very, very big to very, very focused over the course of my career. And in the last year and a half, moving to running my own business. I'd say there are definitely, and if you speak to anyone that owns their own business, um, there are moments where it's absolutely awesome and you're flying high and everything is under control and you have freedom and you're working with people you love and it's great. And there are moments when you are terrified of what you've done and think it's completely crazy and have massive imposter syndrome and are not sure you know, whether you can get out of bed or whether you'll be able to succeed at your job at all. So I don't pretend that it's all entirely kind of fantastic all the time, but overall, I'm really, really happy with, I feel really, really lucky and grateful for how my career has gone and the experiences that I've had, the people I've been lucky enough to work with and where I've landed up now is right for now. And I'm, and I'm broadly I'm delighted with what I'm doing um, and broadly I am pretty happy and content with it. Yeah. Thank you. Um, can you think about any experiences, either pod positive or negative when you were in-house, if you like, if you, when you were employed, yeah, where you had to articulate when something didn't feel quite right. And can you speak to how quickly it took you to be able to speak up? And how, and how that felt. Yeah, I think over your career, and as you get more and more experienced, you gradually learn about yourself and you learn what you like and what you're good at and what you want to spend your time doing. You know, time is our most important currency. What do you want to spend your time doing in, in, in a given week? You're going to design your perfect week is a great question to ask oneself. Um, so if I think of examples like the one you're suggesting, they're, they come further back in my career, right? So if I think right back to the start, I was at a corporate, um, let's say it's a very popular, you know, beauty brand. Um, that he may or may not have already name dropped. In which I may or may not have already name dropped, <laughs> but talks about people being worth it. Um, that... <laughs> You know, we're talking 20 years ago or so when I first started there as a grad. Fantastic business, really exciting, really dynamic, really entrepreneurial. Um, 
and also really tough right really hierarchical really kind of long hours pretty brutal pretty direct um and and hard it was very sink or swim um it's changed over the years and there have been great people evolving that business to something much with a, with a much better stronger culture i know it has that now but at the time it was it was exciting and dynamic but also quite brutal um and i remember feeling like i couldn't really articulate why it just felt like it wasn't right for me and i was being forced to do things which i later reflect were against my values of kind of respect and kindness and and kind of simplicity things like you know talking to an agency partner partner say i'm i'm a marketing manager of you know lnet hairspray or men expert face creams or something and my boss has told me in no uncertain terms that i need to call an agency at 5 30 p.m on a friday and get them to rework something that i know is going to take them hours and deliver it at 9 a.m on monday morning so things like that to me are just i would never do that in my own business it's completely out of order it's completely disrespectful i've got a relationship with the person at the agency but i have to do it because of the culture i'm in those sort of things made me feel kind of sick and over a period of time realizing that a i was going against my values a lot in that business and b as a result i wasn't very good frankly at the stuff i was being asked to do and the way i was being asked to do it and the pressure that i was being asked to do it with i struggled to go because i didn't know anything or have any experience whether i just wasn't cut out for work or whether i was just wrong or stupid or incapable in some way i had a fantastic boss at the time a lady called ariana botti who still works at i think she's a general manager now um, of l'oreal uk um and she took me aside she'd worked in lots of roles prior to that in different types of marketing roles and she said look this place might not be for you right the kind of marketing we do here in a local market might not be right for you um, it's fast paced, it's, it's um, very executional, it's very pressured, etc. Very black and white. There's another kind of marketing, which is global, which is strategic and creative, and has more time to it, but is more about understanding people and psychology and all of that stuff. You'd be great at that. That's where you need to be, not maybe here. Have a think about that. And she was just, she was really gentle, and really honest about it. And I really look back and appreciate the conversation I've told her. So because I went and I joined Unilever in a global role, went and joined managing Lynx deodorant at the time. Um, and it was amazing. It felt like exactly where I needed to be with exactly my people who all thought in the same way that I did, respectful of partners. And from there, I was able to kind of grow and blossom and get my confidence back. But um yeah, while I love my time at L'Oreal, you know, towards the end of the, the two or three years that I was there, it started to feel really wrong for those reasons. And I really appreciate that conversation with uh, Ariana. Thank you. That is such a beautiful story. And there's there's quite a lot in there that mm. we could, you know, a number of directions that that I think we could go in that speak to culture and uh, society at the time. Um, yeah. different sectors, uh, different approaches to management. And I, I kind of want to ask you, um, 
how you think things might have changed actually culturally uh you know in in the world since then because that was a that was an early job for you and and yeah. you know we're in our 40s now yeah um and hard to believe right but yes we are I know we, I know and it was funny this morning <laughs> yeah. as you know I go to Barry's boot camp with an old friend of mine who you've known as well for donkeys Anya and she was joking that there would be people in the room there who didn't even know what a lonely planet was yeah um and you know what a library was <laughs> and we are living in a very different time to the one we were living in yeah you know when we started work you and I so what is this generation of younger people now, do you think, expecting from work? And how does it differ from what we've been used to? And how does that, how is that important for people to remember on both sides of that, in your experience? So I think there was an expectation when we grew up into work that the first few years of your work, you were gonna be painful. You're gonna work hard while you've got the energy and youth to do so. And you're gonna make mistakes and you're gonna learn from them. Um, but you need to do that to kind of climb the ladder as it were. Um, and I think that that whole concept of climbing the ladder has shifted dramatically. I think that the concept of status has shifted dramatically. Status and respect used to be associated with having climbed the ladder and being the CEO of a giant corporation. The generation who are going into work now will have, would see the people that are, people they respect or see as having status, not people that have climbed up a ladder slowly but surely but people that have bypassed it people that have founded a unicorn startup or have become youtube influencers and gained millions of followers or have launched something that's been an enormous success and those kind of um somewhat mythical stories of success are everywhere and i think that's what people sort of aspire to a, a kind of new extreme american dream in a way and and this idea that you can and should love what you do and love the people that you do it with and love the purpose with which they are doing it as well. Um, so I think all of that has changed. I think some of it is realistically a bit of a challenge for a for a business, right? So as an employee, as an employee, I do think you should look to find an employer where your values and their values match, right? That's, you know, going back to the L'Oreal story, that's the, the key thing for me is do, do my values match with those of the company so that I can feel that I can express myself there safely. Right? That, that's, that is really important. From an employer perspective, is it fair that my employees should expect not just financial fulfillment, but sort of emotional and psychological and everything fulfillment from just the work aspect of their life? Maybe not. Maybe that's a lot to ask of a business, right? Um, I think all businesses should be trying to do that, but I think that in some cases, the expectations are too high. 
and that there are other aspects of society, um, you know, um, you know, government and and kind of social society that should be looking after that stuff a little bit. And maybe if we look in the mirror, we would see those things are lacking so much that businesses are trying to fill that void. Um, I think it's harsh to expect them to do it all the time. I'm picture, picturing you sitting with Leo yeah, and having a father-son conversation where okay. on the one hand, knowing you, you're very keen for him to be able to express himself and have a, a, a sort of positive sense of self and expectation. But at the other, you know, on the other hand, also to kind of have a sense of the bigger picture and, you know, knowing you, I can imagine your uh, approach to fatherhood, fathering, parenting, probably, and correct me if I'm wrong, is kind of very conscientious with regard to boundaries and a sense of, not discipline, but, you know, sort of the right thing and, and sort of, yes, not, not, not a kind of, uh, Lord of the flies approach I'm imagining. Um, does that, does that resonate? Do you sort of feel into there being a sort of almost paternal, uh, quality to the way in which you manage people now or have, yeah, have people right. reporting into if that's the question, yeah, I do think um, I do think that my approach to management changed when I had kids, um, and definitely it gives you a new perspective, and definitely it adds a sort of paternalistic care and kindness and quality and patience to the way that you manage people. Um, yeah, I do. I do think that. Um, I don't. And I and just like I said, there are moments where work is flowing and it's brilliant and you feel on top of the world and you feel like you're doing a great job. And there are moments where you're like, I am just, I can't do this. I'm not cut out for this. It's overwhelming. It's same for parenting, right? Um, you know, there are times when you're you feel way out of your depth and that you don't really have the answers at all. And there are times when you feel like you're completely rocking it. And I think that's just that's just life. That's just how it goes. Um but yeah, I, I think there have always been warm parental companies, if that's sort of where you're, you're going with this, and places that care about culture, um, sort of as much as performance, and, and genuinely have policies that look after their people and their well-being. And there are others that, I guess, prioritise performance explicitly above the well-being of their people um and i do think that i guess what i'm advocating for is that the responsibility is on you as a person as an employee to find a place that fits with you you cannot expect every company to be your mummy and daddy basically <laughs> that you, might you be the quote can't. of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, uh, I think it's nice if they are, but you can't expect every company to do that because every company can't because they've got, they've got to look after their bottom line first, then their mm -hmm. top line, then their people, or well, they might see it that way. So mm. mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Okay. So let's, let's, let's take that forward a bit. Um, 
I was really pleased, as I've mentioned to you, that two days before I launched a uh, product for corporates, um, which revolved around how to get the best out of an individual, yeah. uh, which is good for them and good for the company. Mm -hmm. uh, two days before that, our hero in the marketing, good ethical marketing world, Seth Godin, uh, released his latest publication, his latest book, which is called The Song of Significance, which is about something very similar. Uh, so I was I was delighted that we were singing from the same hymn sheet. Um, mm -hmm. And Seth Godin, as many people here may also know, famously said, I'm not for everyone and that's OK. And I wondered then if we could speak about personal brand. And of course, another reason I wanted to have you on this podcast mini series first is because you are an expert in marketing. So so thinking about personal brand and thinking about what that means for an individual in the workplace, how mm. would you describe your own identity shifting or, you know, establishment of a personal Warren Mindy brand over the years? And how important has that been for you to be very clear on and sort of consistent on or not? How has it stood you in good stead? How hasn't it, in fact, stood you in good stead, have a personal brand? Um, I Firstly, I think really the concept of a personal brand, you know, is not something I've always been aware of at all in the workplace. Um, and it's really only been something I've been pretty consciously aware of since running my own thing maybe uh, two years ago and starting Innovation League. Um, I think, again, over the course of your career, you you try when you're on early in your career, or I did, to try and fill the gaps where you are weak, right? To try and get a rounded perspective of all the things you can't do and try and get good at, um, you know, numbers and sales and design and all kinds of things that are not my strong suit. And then after a while, you realize, you know, maybe 10 years or so into your career, I remember there was a tangible sort of moment of clarity. I was like, I am not going to bother anymore trying to be an accountant because I am not an accountant. I am not going to try and be an amazing graphic designer because I am not an amazing graphic designer. I am a world-class facilitator of, of meetings. So I really understand innovation and marketing, right? But if you ask me to put that into beautiful PowerPoint slides, I'm probably not your guy. If you want me to turn that into a myriad of detailed numbers and a huge thudding kind of, you know, thesis, I'm not your guy. Um, so what I began to do, I guess, is to get self-aware from talking to other people about and getting 360 reviews and all those kind of things that happen as you go through your career, you, you do Myers-Briggs and you do various things that help you understand what you're really like from your perspective, but also from others' perspectives. Um, I began to double down on my strengths and turn my weaknesses into strengths as well. So now I will say to people that hire me, um, by the way, you are not going to get a pretty PowerPoint from me. Okay. You're going to get ugly slides with brilliant content in them. Okay. You're going to get, you're not going to get a huge studying thesis from me. You're going to get concise, clear, simple thinking that you'll actually read. Right. Um, so because I'm not the person that wants to do write reams and reams and reams and reams of stuff that no one's going to read. And I'm not the guy that's going to get pernickety about a PowerPoint. 
I'm going to give you the stuff that's going to drive growth in your business in three bullet points on a really ugly slide. Um, and if I'm upfront about that, people know what to expect and they kind of like it. They're like, cool. All right. I know I need to hire a designer if I'm going to show this to someone else. Um, but, you know, I've, I think I've turned those weaknesses into strengths through self-awareness and um, focused on the strengths. Um, and as you get to a place in your career and you, for those who are listening to this who are a bit younger, you will get to that place <laughs> um, where you can start to take a bit more control and autonomy of who you want to work and how you want to work. You can focus your client's attention, your colleague's attention, your boss's attention on where you're strong and be a bit more confident about that um, rather than trying to feel like you need to fill weaknesses. And I think as I listen to myself say that, I think it's something I wish I'd realized a bit earlier, actually. And I think a lot of young people entering the workplace might want to focus on too, is like, what are you really strong on? Just go at that hard and don't be wasting time trying to fill the gaps, which are not your passion point and are not your strong suit. Yeah. And I think the skill, which is sort of where the work that I would like to do comes in is what do you do within with that information when you've got clear on who you are what you want what you need hmm. how do you have conversations that are appropriate hmm. and uh collaborative and uh creative and uh constructive and I think you and I now, you being a trained executive coach and me running a community for coaches, are fully aware of how uh, wonderful the skill of coaching is. And I describe to my community members that marketing is coaching uh, out loud to give your potential clients a sense of what it feels like to work with you because you're able to ask penetrating questions and meet them where they are and be the guide and not the hero through your marketing, not to stand on a soap, uh, soapbox, as I say, and vomit all your stuff all over the people, but to to ask questions of people so that they understand that you can see here and feel into where they are, and that you understand who they are. And that's good marketing as a coach. Mm -hmm. And equally, an individual who is clear on, on their needs and wants in a workplace might then like to think about what are the corresponding questions that I can ask that will invite collaborations with the right kind of people or make sure I have people around me that can fill the gaps, as you say, uh, for my, for the skills that I, that I don't uh, rejoice in every day. Yeah. Um, rather than, for example, standing up and saying, I don't do this and I won't do that. So, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, the skill is not so much to, yes, the skill is to work out who you are. And then the next important bit is what do you then do with that information? isn't it? it it is yes and i think related to that there's there's some there's a i guess a tool that i use a lot when i'm building a team or a group of people that i'm going to collaborate with on a project um and as a consultant i did a lot of that you know you'd be moving from project to project and you would have a group of between three and you know eight people that will be working with you on a project and I still do that 
And one of the things we would do at the start, kind of kicking off that team, would be to just very openly go around the room and say, right, we are going to be like a group of superheroes, right? We're going to be like the Avengers. And the thing about a group of superheroes is they're, they complement each other, right? So they know about each other's superhero powers, but they also know about each other's weaknesses. And that's why they work well as a group together. And so you go around the room and you talk to what's my superhero power, but also what's my Achilles heel, right? What am I good at? What am I, what am I aware that I'm rubbish at? Okay. And then as you go around the room and hear those things, it's interesting to look at where you'll be able to complement each other. So someone will invariably say, you know, I'm an ideas man. I hate doing the nitty gritty kind of detail stuff. And then someone else will say, I hate standing up in front of people and talking about ideas, but I love articulating them and getting them really clear um, and detailed and going into the, I'm curious enough to go into the minutiae of why they exist. And you'd be like, great, you guys completely complement each other. And so we're going to work well as a team. So I think the, the kind of manual of me stuff, the how to work best with me stuff can slot in sensitively into a conversation about how you will work as a team together. In that sense, if that makes sense. Totally. And I love the term manual of me. I love yeah, that. there is. I can't remember who wrote that, but there is somebody that has talked about the idea of articulating a manual of me that's literally... The, you know, and there, I know of people I've worked with that when I've worked with them, they've literally handed me a printed document that says, this is what I'm like. This is how I work best. This is how to get the best out of me. It's the manual of me, basically. That's brilliant. It's like operating a me, me playbook. <laughs> yeah, an operating manual for working with Francis. There you go. And then, <laughs> then you start working as opposed to not. And I think if you're really going to build a relationship with somebody and have a long working relationship with someone, that's not a bad idea to articulate those things and have a meeting or share it in a very transparent, open way with the intent of working brilliantly together as a team because you know that stuff. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And and certainly Simon and I, when we first fell for each other and gave birth to Better Bodger Braver, we spent a long time, in fact, we walked down Regent's Canal in London for hours and hours and just let it all out and told each other who we were and then we actually published a manifesto on our website, which you can all see. And that articulates very clearly to people what we stand for, um, what we're behind and sort of what we, yeah, what we care about and care about changing. And on that note, um, I want to ask you a sort of final, final question, I suppose, uh, mm. because this is, you're, you're a busy man. This mini podcast series is also for busy people. So uh, it's a lovely short sharp snapshot of my guests the last question is a tricky one um mm -hmm. now you and i've been in the world of what used to be called csr is now kind of corporate responsibility com comes under comms it's that it's that question of how do you decide what companies are right for you to work for or with as an individual and it's a it's it's obviously a very subjective set of questions that one might have but you know when I was in the world of corporate sponsorship you know different in different organizations would draw the line at different sponsors that they did not mm. feel comfortable with yeah part of the work that I want to do is to help 
organizations contribute to big system change to have manifestos to kind of see themselves as responsible members of society and to make those goals very clear to their employees so that their employees can fly that flag but also so that employees frankly can tell them that they're not an organization they want to work for if the case is that you know can you speak to your own experience without putting yourself in a dis you know in a in a in an uncomfortable position about you know situations where you have not felt okay about working for a brand or an organization or any advice that you would give someone um first i'd say there's a really interesting article in the sunday times just yesterday from martha lane fox talking about codes of ethics um in the in the business section about um how businesses should have a code of ethics and that a huge percentage of the the um FTSE 350 don't even have a code of ethics. So that as a first step is important and asking for the code of ethics of the business that you are potentially going to go and work for could be a good start. Asking if they have values or behaviors um, or a mission or a vision that they live by and looking on their website for that is a good start. Um, But then there's no substitute for actually talking to people that work there and have left there as well um glass door is good for this um to understand you know what people loved about it and what they hated about it um and no company will be perfect but from that information you can work out which things are a priority for you and try and make sure that it does broadly align with your values but i do think this is one of the hardest things for people when they are choosing a client to work with or a business to join is you go through an interview process, particularly in today's kind of very virtual world where it's very, very hard to grasp hold of the culture of a company and really feel it before you've started. Um, So I just think it's imperative to do everything you can to try and do that um, before you begin any job or any kind of, working relationship to make sure that your cultures are going to connect and your values are going to align and all of that good stuff. Because if I think back on my career and I know that people I've spoken to agree with this, you, it would be, it's much easier to do something you dislike with people that you love and respect than it is to do something you love with a bunch of people that you hate, that makes sense. So the people and the bosses and the culture are actually more important than the work that you do, is what I'm saying. Mm. Um, So spending the time to research that and truly understand it is crucial. Thank you, that's great, I love that. Um, In Better Border Braver, we talk when we have guests on our podcast who uh, sing from a similar marketing hymn sheet to us, a a good ethical marketing hymn sheet, as we like to think, uh, as our marketing family. And of course, you would fit into that, but you're also part of something I think I want to call our kind of corporate culture family. And I, you've been so generous with your time today. I wondered what you would like uh, people here to know about the work that you do. And thinking about your own needs and wants, Warren, what would you like to articulate 
as being what you would what you think you need and want from your work now that you would like people to know what do you want next <laughs> oh so so in answer to the first part of your question what i do now is in innovation leap our our line is that we we help businesses and teams and individuals to take creative leaps in their growth um so that is through innovation consulting and foresight consulting and marketing consulting it's through capability building um, around storytelling for business around innovation culture all of those things and it's in culture building so team building visions values and long-term building of innovation cultures and businesses and the thing that i want for my business right now is just to continue to enjoy it and to continue to work with clients that I really admire and respect um, and businesses that I am fascinated by and to continue enjoying what I do because I think that if you can enjoy what you do you know I can't remember who said it if you enjoy what you do you'll never work a day in your life um, it does feel like that sometimes you know you'll see behind me I've got a whole bunch of lego up here on my shelf I work with Lego a lot um, and I've got a great relationship with Lego and I love working with them. That's a, a great example of something that for me is not like work. It's just really interesting, really fun and is genuinely something I love. And, you know, not every part of work is like that, but you can certainly get to a place where the majority of work is like that. And I think that the simple thing I'd want to leave people with is I guess a few years ago, I made a decision that if I looked at the time I was spending at work, I was going to just stop doing all the stuff that de-energized me and start doing as much more of the stuff that energized me. And if you look at the split of your week, what percentage of it is stuff that gives you energy? What percentage of it is stuff that takes away energy? And just quite simply try and make more of the stuff that gives you energy, less of the stuff that doesn't. Ask yourself what would happen if you just stopped doing that stuff or delegated to someone else that might get energized by it um, or or did it in a different way or just stopped doing it. Um, and what more could you do that, that gives you that energy? Rebalancing that in that really simple way has helped me to get, you know, a lot of joy out of what I do. Um, I hope that everyone else listening can find that as well. Thank you. I mean, I could have easily had you on as a coach talking about what I've told you I call the work-work balance, yep. where we could hear your insights into, as you say, balancing your week um, according yes. to work that makes you happy, the portfolio of that. But that may be a conversation we can have another day because I know a lot of coaches yeah. would be very interested to hear how you do that. But for now, Warren, thank you for being there for me as you have been for many years and uh yes i will post in the show notes as it were details for how to connect with warren or find out more about what warren does if you so wish and thank you for being here oh thank you it's a pleasure